A reading from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 27 through 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of humans and the seed of animals. And just as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring evil, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. In those days, they shall no longer say, the parents have eaten our sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but all shall die for their own sins. The teeth of everyone who eats sour grapes shall be set on edge. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will not, it will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the, with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. For the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lauren and Chris. Glad to have you and other family members here today. I thought while the, our musicians were playing, wouldn't it be wonderful to be around 30 years from now and see where they are, the gifts that they have, and how they use them? I, I think it's just amazing, and I'm grateful for those gifts shared in, in our worship service. Linda Rooney writes of watching her 90-year-old mother, mother's descent deterioration due to Alzheimer's. Linda writes, She lives with me now, something neither of us ever wanted, but it's a responsibility and a privilege I do not take lightly. Though the physical care required is constant and at times challenging, it's the emotional death that I grieve. The loss of connectedness to the woman who has always been a mainstay in my life. My mother has forgotten me. And every time I look at her, my heart weeps. If my mother forgot me, will God what does this 21st century version of a mother's forgetfulness say to me of an ever-remembering God? Is there any comfort left in contemplating God's love? In our text, all is not well. All is not well. The storms are raging. Things have gone badly. They're in the midst of disaster. They are in exile. They're in captivity. And all of Jeremiah's words, prophetic words, have come true. 
Everything that they have loved and cherished is either in chaos or it's, it's gone. God appears to have abandoned them. God appears to have forgotten them. But this ever-remembering God, as Linda Rooney calls God, hasn't abandoned the people. But then the text does say that God forgets. God remembers something no more. So we have both a remembering and a forgetting God. What a paradox. What a paradox. This God is one who forgets, but also remembers the right things in the midst of the storm. So all is not lost. There is hope, which is a good news for us in the times in which we live. Even in the midst of disaster, the seeds in the first part of that text, the seeds of the people's salvation, their freedom, their blessing are being sown by God. And that may be the most important thing we hear, that in the midst of our disaster, our chaos, our loss, our grief, the seeds of our salvation, our freedom, our healing are being sown by God. The hope and promise of God is that that is what's happening even now. These words look beyond the present, the present mess, beyond the brokenness, beyond the torn present and the loss and the grief. They point to a new time. One of the difficult things, though, for us when we're in the midst of that battle is perspective, right? We lose it. We lose the big picture. We get so tied up in the mess. And in the heat of the moment, It's easy to end up in despair and lose hope, but this text calls us to the future. Keep a perspective. All is not lost here. This particular text has been called the gospel before the gospel. It's a high watermark, if you will, in Old Testament theology. It's the only place in the Old Testament that refers specifically to a new covenant. So... This is not a return to the good old days. And some of us want to return to the good old days. The problem of it is we have selective memory, and those days weren't really that good. Really, they weren't. My dad used to say they don't make cars like they used to. Well, thank God they don't. (laughs) Thank God that we don't have to look to the past, we can look to the future. Well, you know, if if only the church, if only our church was like the New Testament church. Well, we are. We fight. We misunderstand. We're flawed. Just like the New Testament church. The New Testament church was not necessarily morally, ethically, or spiritually superior to the church today. The New Testament consisted of people just like you. That's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? Like you and me. Flawed, sinful people saved by God's grace. The good old days really weren't that good. It would be a horrible nightmare for the vision to be a return to the past. 
What God offers in the midst of the storm is not a return to what has been, but the promise that things are going to be greater than they ever have been. Yesterday, I had the privilege of meeting with the 100th Anniversary Committee. We talked about the past, but we talked about how valuable that is and how there are things in the past of this church that need to be held on to that are a part of the DNA of the church that need to be carried forward and need to be celebrated and need to be a part of the future. But that, that's not all there is, thank God. God has new plans, wonderful plans, a wonderful future for this congregation. If only she'll be open to it. It will be a radically new covenant, said Jeremiah. And in all of this, take heart because God takes the initiative. Did you hear verses 31 through 34? Twice God says, I will make, and then I took them by the hand. I was, I made, I will put, I will write, I will be, I will forgive. Nine times I've got them circled in my Bible, and you can... Circle them in your Bible. Nine times God uses the I word. This is theocentric. It's God-centered. It's not your doing. It's not my doing. It's God's doing. God initiated that first covenant, and God will initiate the new one. It comes to us by the grace of God. Not because we try really, really hard. Not because we're all good. Not because we behave ourselves. It will happen because the one who gave us the commandments in the first place will take those and write them, etch them, engrave them on our heart. Which according to the Hebrew people was the center. This heart was the very center of a human. Those ten commandments, God's gracious gift, Remind us of those places in life, those, those places, those shallow places where we could stub our toe on a rock and fall. And it seems that we have trouble, particularly with that first one, to have no other gods before us. We follow other would-be gods, don't we? And there's so many gods. We are endlessly creative in creating gods with a little g, the God of materialism, the God of family, the God of nation, the God of comfort. There are more would-be gods than we can imagine. But God's faithful. God's going to give another try. God's going to make a new covenant. And God's love is not fickle. It's, it's not changing. God is consistent, persistent, reliable, faithful in keeping the covenant. And, and having the imagination and the commitment to establish a newer, better one. And how will it be established? Once again, by the grace of God. Scripture is endlessly, endlessly reports, is an endless witness to God's mercy and grace towards sinners. And because you and I have a hard time, at least some of us do, to accept that grace, struggle to receive it, we have to hear it over and over again. That grace comes from the very heart of God. It's not something incidental or peripheral. It's central to God's identity. 
It comes from God's heart and comes directly to ours. Jeremiah emphasizes this new covenant will be permanent. The old one was broken time after time. The new one will stand the test of time, not because we're better people, but rather because God guarantees it. The law demands what it cannot give, but grace gives what it demands. God will give it to us, write it upon our hearts. And the promise of this new covenant is not sinlessness. We know better, don't we? We know better. It's not sinlessness, it's forgivenness. One of the most beautiful statements in all of Scripture is found here. I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. That's good news, isn't it? That God forgets those things that we want forgotten. God does not remember them, our failure, our sin. Those things that often are the most difficult things for us to forget. So I told Meg last Sunday when we were singing that hymn that the first part of, I forget, the second or third verse of of the hymn that we sang, some of my favorite words in all of Hymnden. Hymnden? Hymnden world? Hymnody. Hymnody. I knew I I could get help there. Um, He breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. You see, our sin is canceled, but sometimes it still continues to have power over us because we won't allow God's grace to do its work in our lives in ways that set us free. We need to hear it over and over. You know, when we own up, when we confess and let go, God's forgiveness comes alive in our lives. And in the process of all that, we turn away from we turn away from that which separates us from God, from each other, and from our best selves, and we begin to move towards God, towards others, and towards our best selves. It's all about relationships. And the new covenant takes hold in our lives. What does this God who forgets then see when all of that happens? What does God see when this move happens? Rachel. Rachel had been, had been raised in a very strict, very, very strict religious home. She could have been my sister. She'd gone to church school when she was young. She was terrified of that all-seeing God. Her parents and her teachers had taught her that God was always watching her to keep her in line, to help her behave herself, to frighten her into good behavior. She grew up to be a very frightened and intimidated person. But one day, Rachel Rachel encountered Joanne, who'd had a much different upbringing, And this conversation ensued. Joanne, I'm frightened of the thought of God watching me all the time. 
Oh, Rachel, Rachel, you've got it all wrong. God does see you all the time, but do you know why? Because God loves you so much, God can't take God's eyes off you. I like that, don't you? God's eyes are focused lovingly on you and me. And God sees who and what we can become, what we can do as we receive God's forgiveness and grace. So the question for us today is where do you, where do I need to experience forgiveness? He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. Remember, we can't do it alone. It comes as a gift. Or it doesn't come at all. And the best news of all is that this God is one who doesn't remember our sin anymore. Never brings it up again when we get into an argument with God. Now that's a God we can worship, serve, and praise. I will remember your sin no more. Thanks be to God. Amen.